Hey everyone, and welcome to the Mavs Film Room podcast coming to you on Tuesday, September 28th, 2021. And it is the beginning of another great season of Mavs basketball. Training camp officially started for the Mavericks today. Yesterday was media day where most of the players and Jason Kidd got to speak with reporters and talk about their thoughts on the upcoming season. And in just about a week, the Mavericks will play their first preseason game against the Utah Jazz on October 6th. And in just over three weeks, the regular season is going to begin. So all in all, the offseason is over and basketball is upon us once again. And we cannot be more excited to be kicking off another great season here at the Mavs Film Room podcast. And to help us welcome in the new year, I'm joined by Vinay Chimidi, who is always a great person to discuss the Mavs with. How's it going? Good. I'm glad to be discussing Mavs with a fellow Indian. It's my, one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> you know it. It's, uh, it's always great to, to have someone you can relate to on a deep level like that. So let's just get right into it. Just to recap the offseason, by the way, the Mavs overall kept their core group the same, but they did add a couple of guys around the edges. They added Reggie Bullock, um, who is a 3 and D wing, who most recently played for the New York Knicks. They added Sterling Brown, who is also another 3 and D guard and wing, played most recently for the Houston Rockets. He also played for the Milwaukee Bucks under Jason Kidd a few years ago, and he went to college at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. So He's also on the team now, and the Mavs added Moses Brown via trade. They traded Josh Richardson to the Celtics in what was pretty much a salary dump deal, and they got Moses Brown, who's a young center, um, who's an intriguing prospect. And finally, the Mavs added Frank Nilikina, who played the first four years of his career with the New York Knicks. He was actually picked right before the Mavs picked Dennis Smith Jr. in 2017. You know, Frank was linked to the Mavs a lot uh, in that draft, but ultimately the Knicks picked him seventh overall in that draft. He's pretty much had a disappointing career given where he was selected, but being in Dallas now gives him a fresh start. And I'm kind of excited for Frank. I think he forgot to, guys. Who else did I forget? I think we got Goran Dragic and Lowry Markkinen. I don't, I don't, know, I don't <laughs> remember you saying those two. Guys. Man, I haven't heard those names in years. I'm just kidding. But yeah, Lowry was definitely a blast of the, blast from the past in terms of names. You know, the Mavs were linked to him a lot through the offseason. Ultimately, it did not work out, though. He signed with the Cleveland Cavaliers and Goran Dragic. Still up in the air, but he's uh, with the Toronto Raptors right now. He's in training camp with them. So I guess we'll, we'll see what happens, but it doesn't look like Dragic is going to be a Mav, um, you know, before the season starts. But let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about media day. So guys are, are pretty excited to have Jason Kidd and the new staff uh, in the building. I think all of them spoke about just like a new energy around the team. Nobody was more excited about it, in my opinion, than Christoph Porzingis, who seems to have been very appreciative of the coaching change. Um, what are your thoughts on, on KP's media session yesterday? I mean, he could not have made it more obvious that he was miserable with the Rick Carlisle last year. And I think, <laughs> I don't think he was the only player. Luca wasn't the only player. The young guys 
probably felt the same way. Even some of the vets felt the same, like Josh Richardson, who we don't miss. And, I mean, guys like that, I think a lot of people had issues with Rick just as an, an emotional aspect. Um, there's no question he's one of the best X's and O's coaches in basketball. Um, but, I mean, it's 2021 sports, and now we're kind of, like, noticing, like, and realizing, like, the emotional connection between coach and player just matters a ton. matters way more than we give it credit for. And, I mean, we'll see what Jason Kidd's going to do, but it just seems like so far the players just kind of connect with him. And even just him recently retired and somewhat, and some of these players watched him growing up and stuff like that, and they didn't necessarily see Ricardo growing up. So they have, like, kind of this Im image of Jason Kidd in, in their head of being, like, kind of a basketball icon. Yeah, I think you you summed it up pretty well. Like, my thing on Rick Carlisle is, like, obviously the Mavs are going to miss his his strategic mindset and just how great of a coach he was. But I don't think many of the players are going to miss him just given what we know about how he kind of rubbed them the wrong way and, and they're kind of growing tired of him. So it's a, it's a welcome change for all the guys on the roster. And to your point, it was pretty telling that none of them really posted anything after he left the Mavs, you know, it kind of speaks to how they were all feeling about it. Not to say that they hated, all hated him or anything. I'm sure there are guys who are thankful uh, for the opportunity that he gave them, but you know, that thing, every relationship runs its course and, and these guys are ready for a new coach. And as soon as he left, he also had so many media guys were like, yeah, Rick's kind of a dick. He's always kind of a dick when you talk to him in the hallway. <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. that was like a repeated repeated thing that you got from a lot of the Dallas media guys. And it's probably true of that many people are saying it. Yeah. It's surprising that a lot of that stuff didn't come out earlier, but I guess, you know, when, when you have our coach like Rick Carlisle, who's won a championship, you, you tend to be given the benefit of the doubt sometimes when it comes to your personality and, and people will let it slide. But, you know, as soon as he was gone, definitely the floodgates open with people being like he was just like tough to deal with on a personal basis and, and all that. So. Right. And whether we like it or not, like Kendrick Perkins, I think last year was talking about how Rick Carlisle isn't a coach that maybe players want to play for. I think he said something along those lines or maybe I mean, he has obviously a little bit of bias because he's buddy buddy with Rondo. But I mean, if that if it's definitely like a consensus around the league, probably like a little bit of a of the notion around the league that Rick Carlisle just isn't super player friendly. And I mean, you can see a lot of the moves Nico Harrison, Jason Kidd kind of going more towards the player friendly route. I'm not saying that they're not, they're not apt for the job, but definitely the emotional um, skill set was something that Mark Cuban was looking for in all of the hires that he made. Yeah. One of the big things that, that, several players talked about yesterday was just how much more open the communication has been between them and the coaching staff uh, ever since Jason Kidd uh, came uh, to the Mavs. And that was something that they didn't feel was there last season. I think KP obviously said it. I think Tim Hardaway talked about it. Uh, Luca talked about it a little bit too. I'm sure there's other guys who mentioned it that I'm forgetting, but that kind of really st stuck out to me. Um, yesterday like it was kind of them talking about how they didn't really like the way that Rick Carlisle communicated with them without saying as much so that really was a big theme that that really stood out to me yesterday and like Rick Carlisle I don't want to completely scapegoat like in the playoffs against the Clippers like I mean maybe we could use KP a little bit more but at, at some point like it was just kind of weird to use him and pick him up because they would just switch those wings and KP can't really couldn't take advantage of a wing last year 
I don't know if he will be in a couple in a month or so. Hopefully he will. I'm probably skeptical on that point too. But I mean, he was he was just basically used as a three and D wing in that Clippers series. It's a bet was a really bad matchup for a lot of our guys, especially him and Jalen Brunson. And I don't think those two guys are as bad as they showed in that playoff series. I hope they prove me right. Yeah, on on the note of KP, like I think that Rick Carlisle definitely, you know, from a pure standpoint of utilizing his skill set, like, yeah, I, I don't think Rick Carlisle used him enough. But at the same time, like, this is a guy that's coming off of a major surgery and he had a short offseason, didn't have time to rehab, and clearly was physically limited last season. Like, I, I don't think anyone who watched KP last year could honestly say that he was 100%. And so was was scared to move and, and just didn't have it last year. So when you consider all those factors, I definitely do understand why Rick Carlisle chose to have KP's role as a floor spacer and a three-point shooter because defenses had to respect it. But like I said, from a pure standpoint of skill utilization, I don't think Rick did it. And now that mm-hmm. KP is healthy, I'm, I'm hoping that the positive dialogue that he's having with Jason Kidd will pay off and that they'll be able to use him in ways in which he can stay engaged, but can also maximize the, the potential of the team on the floor. Right. And even more, I mean, yeah, like you said, he, now he has a full off season to let's see what he turns into. And I think a lot of the, his struggles last year were all between the ears mentally. And I don't think he was necessarily, I mean, I don't know what the whole situation was with him and Rick. Um, obviously, he wants to be posting up more. I don't know if that's the most, necessarily the most efficient thing. Um, but, I mean, they could have definitely involved him a little bit more. Um, I don't understand why he doesn't roll more. I, I, I get he's a shitty screen setter. But just having a guy seven foot three that's like that can dive like that, I feel like they could have utilized that a lot more. Um, yeah, they're, they're really good. Looking forward to this year. Yeah. I, I just don't think it's KP's instinct to do that. But, yeah, it would help a ton if he could do it. I think overall the the things that, that Jason Kidd talked about KP and KP talked about himself was just mixing it up a bit more on offense, like mm-hmm. you know, mixing in some post-ups, even though he's not very good at it, um, mixing in some mid-range shots uh, along with the three-pointers. And, you know, to KP's credit, though, he, he realizes that he's got to adapt his game. He realizes that post-ups are not really a big part of the game anymore. Um, so, I mean, it was nice to hear him talk about it. And he's talked several times since the season ended about how he's got to change his own game. So I'm really looking forward to seeing if it manifests like on the court, you know? Right. And I know it's not popular to talk about the mid-range shot, but if he, and he hasn't had it in Dallas, I don't think, um, I'll have to look up the numbers, but his mid-range, if he could develop a mid-range, an efficient mid-range shot where you can kind of like face up and shoot. I mean, sometimes he does it over smaller guys, but like, and this isn't necessarily something you can develop overnight, but like an Anthony Davis type face up kind of game where you can face up and shoot and stuff like that. I think that's something that, I mean, he needs to add to his game. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing though. Like he's not really been a very efficient mid range shooter in his career. Yeah, um, but at the, And, you know, he hasn't been able to like exploit mismatches or exploit being put up against a smaller defender, like in a face up situation. But, you know, he did say that he worked more on, on the basketball aspect of things this offseason in addition to the strength and conditioning. So, you know, maybe we will see some improvement uh, in that in that sense from him this season. Just a lot of times when he's in the mid post, he just looks, he just, you, you can just tell he's like rushing it in his head. He just doesn't seem like yeah. comfortable with it at all. 
Um, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, hard to not everyone has Luca's patience. That dude's like a one-on-one with his patience <laughs> and taking his time with everything. So it's understandable. But if KP can, I mean, let's see what he worked on over over the summer. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a mental struggle for him, or rather it has been a mental struggle for him. So let's see if he can overcome some of the limitations that he's had um, in the past. And kind of on that note, let's uh, let's transition to Jason Kidd because he did have one of the longer media sessions yesterday, and, and obviously he's a coach, so it's an important person to talk about. Um, what were kind of your impressions from what Jason Kidd said? I know there was... You know, we talked a little bit about uh, his comments on KP, and there was one thing we didn't mention, which was uh, Jason Kidd said that he expects KP to start the season at the four as opposed to the five. What did you make of that comment from Kidd? So my definition of positions in basketball is like kind of who you're guarding. So I don't think in any role KP can guard fours. Um, <laughs> on offense, I mean – I don't think he should be guarding any force. He's a center that can barely move relatively to the other NBA players. So I think he needs to be by the rim as much as possible or guard the slowest person on the other team. Um, I don't know what Jason Kidd necessarily meant by playing the four. I really hope we don't go twin towers with like playing. I don't know who would be playing with Willie Colley Stein. I hope we don't do that. Um, but I don't know what their plans are with when they said play him at the four. That kind of like perked my ears up. If it's like they're saying Max is going to be the five, I don't know if that's what he meant. Like, so we'll have to see what they meant with that. I really hope it's not KP and like Willie together or KP and Dwight together. Like, I'm a big fan of like, I want KP at the five and maximizing Luca, KP spacing with. I mean, I would love to have three shooters, Tim, Dorian, and Reggie. And then who's the fourth guy? Whoever it is, three shooters around Luca, KP is kind of like what I would go for. Not putting and that and that's this way kp can be like doesn't like he can be more the screen setter he doesn't necessarily have to be just spotting up because if you have dwight luca as the main pick and roll combo you're going to be running a shit ton of pick and roll with luca that's just what you should be doing um so you're not going to if dwight's in this game or willie's in the game they have to be the main screen setter otherwise they're going to be clogging up the spacing um and then if they're this main screen setter, then kp is kind of a spot up shooter at that point so I hope he's the main big guy to summarize. Yeah, in Kid's defense, I think that the quote got taken a bit out of context. Like, Kid prefaced him saying he expects KB to play the four with saying that he doesn't really view guys as four or fives. He kind of just views, you know, a starting lineup as putting the best five players out there, which is not always what coaches believe when it comes to starting five. So it, it is one perspective. Um, so... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, if KP does start the season as, you know, the, the quote-unquote four, uh, you know, if he starts with, like, Dwight Powell um, or, or Willie Cauley-Stein, for that matter, like, how long did he decide to roll with that? We've seen the KP-Powell uh, pairing work in the past, like, in 2019. It, it, it had been pretty effective, but obviously Dwight Powell... in a start. It doesn't work defensively. Works yeah, defensively. yeah, and, you know... Jason Kidd has stressed the importance of defense. He seems to really uh, want be wanting to emphasize that this season, whereas Rick Carlisle was kind of more of just an, like an offense-first co- coach. Yeah. We're just going to kind of do kind of the bare minimum on defense. Kidd seems to be different uh, in that respect. So 
if Kidd is really that serious about having a good or an improved defensive team, I think he's going to learn quickly that having KP at the four position may not be the best for that. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I don't know. Like a, a lot of it is dependent on your matchup. So like the first game of the year, I think we're playing at Atlanta. So I think I would probably start Maxi to go Maxi and KP to go against Collins and Capella. And then you have, let's say probably Dorian and Tim. I mean, but is Reggie a starter? I don't know. Um, it's a good, it's a good problem to have, I guess. I mean, not, not really, cause they should have maybe better players, but I mean, it's obviously Luca and a bunch of three and D players. So like, there's going to be a three and D guy that maybe should start. That's going to come off the bench. Um, either Tim or Reggie, probably maybe Dorian. I mean, maybe Dorian comes off the bench. Cause like Rick was the guy that like loved Dorian, you know? Yeah. Um, and Dor- Dorian's a good player, but like, he's not necessarily guaranteed to start anymore. Like, I think the two starters that are guaranteed are Luca and KP. And we'll see what the rest is. Definitely. And I want to get into that a little bit later because there's a few interesting things that I want to be watching for here in the preseason with regards to the, the rotations and the lineups. But there's one more thing I want to talk about with Jason Kidd's press conference yesterday. And I think it's just more along the lines of him sort of acknowledging his previous failures as a head coach as well as um, you know expressing that he has learned a bit from two seasons under Frank Vogel in LA and you know he's talked about this a lot like not just yesterday he's talked about it in his intro press conference as well as in some interviews he's done over the course of the summer about how he learned from Frank Vogel about how to be a, a proper coach in the NBA he's acknowledged that when he went from being a player directly to being a coach with the Nets and the Bucks that he didn't fully take the time to actually learn what it took to be a coach in the NBA. And that caused some problems with him. Um, And so I I thought that yesterday him, you know, continuing to acknowledge that was another step in the right direction for Jason Kidd. And it gives me some hope that maybe it's not going to be as bad as a lot of people fear that it will be. Yeah, I don't blame people for, I mean, I don't blame people for being skeptical about it just because of how badly it did go in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. And I do want to say that he's actually won a playoff series as a coach more recently than the Mavericks have, which is funny (laughs) and sad. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But he he won a playoff series with with the Nets. I mean, and that that team was super overhyped. It was like, it was Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Brooke Lopez. It was like a super like hyped up team beforehand. So I don't necessarily think it was as good of a basketball team as it was made out to be. Um, but that was the team that I think won that first playoff series and they ended up losing to the Heatles. That's what I call LeBron's Heat team um, <laughs> in the second round. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't blame people for being super skeptical about him. Um, I'm, I believe that people and, and coaches can grow from past experiences and past failures. I think that, like, he's – he's saying the right stuff in terms of like, like the coaching staff that he brought in wasn't necessarily all of his guys. I know Sean Sweeney was uh, someone that he brought from Milwaukee slash Brooklyn, but Igor Kokoshkov, Kokoshkov, um, Christy Tolliver, Jared Dudley, I guess is kind of from Milwaukee, but it's not necessarily like Igor Kokoshkov is looks like he's going to handle the offense. So like, and Jason Kidd doesn't have necessarily a prior relationship with him. So, um, We'll see. We'll see. He's definitely going to be the first guy that gets scapegoated if this shit goes haywire, which I don't think it will. 
Yeah, definitely. I think you and I are more optimistic about Kid than most people are. And that's due to a variety of reasons. I think one mainly is just that they have Luca. And, you know, now in the NBA, well, it helps to have like a good X and O's coach like Rick Carlisle. Coaching doesn't matter as much, um, you know, from a traditional perspective as it does, say, in like the NFL, right? In the NBA, it's such a talent-driven league. And ultimately, having the superstar yeah. players is what really is going to win you games in the league. So we can hope that Jason Kidd doesn't do anything to really sabotage their chances during the game. And on the note of the coaching staff, I agree with you. And that's something that Jason Kidd kind of did talk about yesterday was that he tried to pick a staff that he wasn't necessarily the most familiar with. Like, yeah, he did take Sean Sweeney from his previous days in Brooklyn and Milwaukee, and he did bring Greg St. Jean from the Lakers over here. But, you know, he did add Igor Kokoshkov. He did add Christy Tolliver. You know, he still kept God Shamgod and Darrell Armstrong um, on the staff. And then he added Jared Dudley, who has not coached before, but is still a very valued presence in the league and among players. So I think the Mavs have a good coaching staff. You know, it's not just going to be all Jason Kidd all day. Like it's these other people on the staff, like Igor and Jared Dudley are going to have very prominent roles and very key roles in, in keeping the ship afloat. Like in the case of Igor, Igor is someone that Jason Kidd has called like a genius, you know? And in the case of Jared Dudley, I think he's going to be extremely valuable in just having someone who can connect to the players He's been beloved in every locker room he's been in in his career. And a lot of people around the league praise the move to hire Jared Dudley. So all these factors together make me pretty optimistic about the way that the coaching staff is going to operate. And so far, the players have been giving very good reviews about it. Yeah. And there's honestly like a lot to talk about with the whole Horala Bob and like what the dysfunction on the team last year, which I think kind of like got into the players in terms of like who's making the rotations and stuff like that. Um, with Nico Harrison here, I think the, I, there's more of an organization around the around the Mavericks, right? There's not necessarily Haralabob and Cuban's ear or, you know, there's not like a weird pecking order. And it's actually interesting that you mentioned that. I just want, I just remembered something quickly. Like uh, yesterday in Tim Hardaway's interview, I was rewatching it today. And I think someone asked him about, uh, just developing chemistry and, and whether it was difficult last season because of COVID versus this season. And Tim Hardaway actually said that last season it was difficult to develop chemistry because they never really knew who was going to start or who was going to be in the rotation. And at first I thought that that was kind of like a criticism of like Carlisle. But now that you mentioned the Bob thing, it kind of makes sense as to why Tim Hardaway might have said that because as we've seen from reporting that happened after the season, Bob often had like a, had a hand in some of the rotations and lineups. And so I wonder if, if Tim Hardaway was essentially confirming it when he said that. And I mean, we could do a whole effing two hours on Bob. Um, yeah, I think. But like when he was hired, when he was hired, it was kind of like weird and kind of shady in terms of like, he got hired as the analytics guy after we drafted Luca, but I also kind of think that he was the guy that convinced Cuban to draft Luca. And hey, Bob and Cuban also talk a lot about cryptocurrency, so who knows what, <laughs> what their <laughs> partnership is there too, you know? Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff with that. I don't think that 
there's a lot of weird dynamics with that. I think Rick and Donnie also kind of like, I could see them not being happy with like this new guy coming in and they're kind of the old establishment. And yeah. There was no organization with the Mavericks and like in any business you're going to, if you don't have a good organization, it's going to crumble. I don't really care. Like who you have, if you don't, if people don't know who to like report to and stuff like that, which is basically what it turned into teams would call us and there would be on different phone calls with Donnie or Bob or according to the reporting, like all sorts of weird stuff. I'm got Bob kind of got scapegoated in my opinion, in that article. I think it was a bigger, like the bigger issue was the dysfunction, disorganization in this front office, which yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, I think it's safe to say that even though there was some good stuff that was happening with the Mavs and it wasn't all bad, like it, it was just time for a change across the That's organization. Fair. There was just too much getting stale and, and too much dysfunction. That's why I'm also happy they didn't keep they didn't keep Jamal Mosley as the head coach. I know that was like a popular guy that everyone wanted, but just kind of like yeah. very cool with like just cleaning house and like I hope he succeeds in Orlando and I actually think he will do a good job because. I mean, for I like their young talent, but I don't. This is an Orlando Magic podcast. Continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but yeah. Bottom line is, there's there's going to be some changes, and hopefully, they're for the positive. Um, and so, right. yeah. The last thing I want to talk about uh, today is kind of some of the things that we're expecting or looking forward to seeing from training camp and preseason. So I know that you kind of already mentioned like who's going to start, who's going to come off the bench. Like now with with Reggie Bullock. And Sterling Brown, um, you know, and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith, the Mavs have some options as to who they can start at the two and three position, and even the four position too. So it'll be interesting to see whether Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith start along with Luca, um, Tim Hardaway, and Kristaps, or if they go with another lineup like Luca, Tim Hardaway, Dorian, Maxi, and KP, and Reggie Bullock comes off the bench. Or do they do something where Dorian is coming off the bench? You know, they have some more lineup flexibility with the additions of, of Bullock and Sterling Brown. So I'm curious to see, does Bullock start? Does he come off the bench? I think he's going to start, but I'm curious to see what you think. I think, I, I think Reggie, I think Reggie's going to start. I think Dorian's going to start. And I think Tim's going to start. So I think, yeah, I think Maxi and Dorian will probably like, Maybe it will be like that'll be like the flip flop in terms of like if we're playing a bigger team, Max, you might play. There's still some roster issues with this team. Like it's a lot of three and D guys, not a lot of playmaking. We wanted to get that fixed, obviously, this offseason, but we added Reggie, and I'm happy that we got more shooting next to Luca because I will never, I don't care what anyone says, adding more shooting next to a elite playmaker is never a bad idea. Um, we're gonna have a top, we're gonna have a top five offense, offensive rating wise. Maybe we. Maybe Jason Kidd fucks it up, but I don't think he will. I think we will. But Luca KP on offense is is historic, literally historic. Yeah, I mean they did add two forty percent three point shooters to the team in Reggie Bullock and Sterling Brown. So, like you said, that's always right. not a bad thing. And you know, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, and maybe it's just me talking myself into it, but I do think that the continuity that the Mavs are having, you know, from last season into this season is actually going to help them out when it comes to implementing a new system. Like, you know, this is a team that was pretty successful in the second half of last season. They were on a 53 win pace after, you know, they got their guys back from COVID. So the first half of that season went so effing poorly. COVID, Luke didn't come in the, the best shape. Um, 
KP was, was, was yeah. rehabbing, you know, so a lot of those problems are not there anymore. You know, that Luca is in, in better shape after having played in the Olympics. KP is healthy. Most of the team is vaccinated. Hopefully the whole team will be vaccinated by the start <laughs> of the season. Not um, funny, actually. It's a serious issue. It is a serious issue. And it it's a competitive disadvantage when you have players that no. are not vaccinated, you know, so um, hopefully that's taken care of. But I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the Mavs. And, you know, while they, they may not have the roster that we want in terms of playmaking ability, um, they still have a good team that, that, that has proven itself uh, in the past. And now we can only hope that they have the chance to add someone like Goran Dragic or, or a similar player that, that can allow them to be more dynamic in the playoffs and not suffer from the same problems that, that, that have plagued them for the last two seasons. Yeah, they definitely need, hopefully they can add a secondary playmaker by March. I'm not going to bank on it. It's, it's hard. It's hard to um, whatever, um, especially for them for some reason. But <laughs> I think they tried this offseason to get a secondary playmaker, whether it was Kyle Lowry. And then I think the whole Goron thing with Toronto, I, I don't Maybe something happens on October 1st. I saw that was a date that Moses Brown is eligible to get traded, but Part of me thinks that Masai Ujiri was a little upset with not getting a lot for Kyle Lowry in, during the season, and they're going to kind of hold on to Goron and see what they get for him maybe later, or maybe, I don't know. We'll see what We'll happens. see. I mean, because the Raptors have to, I mean, they don't have to, but they're they're in the luxury tax right now. So trading Dragic is probably their fastest way out of that. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens with Dragic. You know, the, the Mavs, like Jason Kidd talked about Luca trusting his teammates or talked about the desire to like want to have additional playmaking in addition to, you know, in addition to Luca. So when they say all that kind of stuff, it just makes me think that like they have to go and get Goran Dragic or they have to go and get another playmaker. Otherwise, like all this stuff about them wanting to have more playmaking options is just like talk and it's not actual something that they can do, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think the last two off seasons, I don't know, I'll belabor the point, but they definitely fudged it up. Um, Jalen Brunson is someone that I think they're banking on to make a step. I don't know if he was going to make that playmaking step that we all want, but maybe that's someone that can that can help out in terms of handling the ball and stuff like that. Jalen Brunson is also super self-aware, and he understands that we need a secondary playmaker. I think he even talked about the press conference yesterday. Mm. So, I, and he's someone that's really improved on his game last year. A lot of people thought he was like a marginal NBA player at best before the uh, before last year. And he really surprised a lot of the people uh, during the year last year. I thought he should have played more. I honestly thought I wouldn't have like minded him. Like there are times we were in ruts last year, especially in the first half of that season. I thought he should have maybe started some games. Like I think he's a really good player relative to the team. The Clippers was a really bad matchup for him. I don't think he was as bad as that. That's also like his first playoff experience. And I think he's going to hopefully learn from that. I think so too. You know, he made it, it took a huge step forward last season and this season presents another opportunity for him. They're definitely going to rely on him a lot. And he has areas of his game that he needs to work on, namely his facilitation and passing. So we'll see what happens with that. He works really corny, but he works really hard in this game. And not a lot of NBA players do that. <laughs> You'd be surprised. He works really hard in this game. And I think he's going to continue to get better. Yeah, no, I love Jalen Brunson and I'm rooting hard for him. And I hope that the Mavs offer him another contract because losing him would definitely suck for many reasons. But on the note of secondary ball handlers and guards, 
Another thing I'm watching for in this preseason is who takes the third point guard spot on the roster that was held by Trey Burke last season. Obviously, Trey Burke is still under contract for two more years with the Mavs, but they did bring in Frank Nilekina um, on a two-year minimum deal to, to training camp. Jason Kidd said that Frank Nilekina provides them with healthy competition, but they obviously like Frank Nilekina's length and defensive ability. That's one of the skills that he's definitely demonstrated over the course of his NBA career. So um, I'm curious to see what ends up happening uh, in that battle between Burke and Nilekina. My money is on Frank Nilekina because Trey Burke is kind of a relic of the old Donnie Nelson, Rick Carlisle regime. None of the guys really in place now who run the team have any sort of allegiance to Trey Burke. And, you know, given Trey Burke's resistance to getting the vaccine, I, it, it's really not that hard of a decision to ship him off somewhere and just give that to Frank. Yeah, I mean, Bubble Burke was a thing that only existed in Disneyland or Disney World, literally. Is it Disneyland or Disney World? Disney World. Disney World. Um, so I, th- I don't think he's going to be on the team, and that doesn't even start. With, that doesn't even get into the vaccine stuff. Uh, it looks like he's not vaccinated, which I think is kind of a. I think Cuban would make a Cuban or whatever. I think they would make a decision like on that in terms of like not wanting him on the team. Um, with Frank, I'm a huge believer in his skill set, and I think like the Knicks probably use him a little bit too much as a point guard. I think he's more of like a three and D wing uh, emphasis on the D not necessarily the three. Um, but I think he's going to make the team. I think he's someone that we can put out like in kind of situations where, I mean, Steph Curry's torching us. Can we put Frank out there for a stretch um, and give him a different look, you know? Um, that's an important guy. I think that we need to have on our team. Hopefully he can make crack the rotation and get some minutes, but I think that, I definitely could see the fit here. Um, Josh, Josh Green and Tyrell Terry. I'm curious to see how their second years will go. Josh more so, I think we'll play in the NBA and the for the NBA team more so. And then I think Ty will get some G League minutes. Um, I think both of them need experience just playing basketball, which, yeah, it, um, they didn't get a lot of last year. And I'm not ruling them out completely like a lot of other people are. Um, I think they like, like on paper, they would be decent fits next to Luca. Josh Green really needs to fix the shot, but like his passing is like natural to him. His defense is was very apparent last year, and then with Ty, I think I mean he had his own little stuff off the court last year, with the hiatus that he had. Um, I think he can just shoot the shit out of the ball. So I'm curious what those second year guys will look. Yeah, I mean, the second-year guys are kind of like the last thing I wanted to, to really discuss as something <laughs> I'm, I'm watching for here in preseason, um, just to see whether Josh Green has a spot in the rotation. Like you said, I, I think Tyrell Terry probably needs some more reps and needs to put on some weight before he can truly make any sort of impact in the NBA, but he definitely has the shooting skills, so we'll see. Josh Green, I think, is a reliable jump shot away from being a very useful NBA player. And I think Jason Kidd is going to give him the opportunity to try and crack the rotation in preseason. You know, uh, Jason Kidd's staffs dating back to Milwaukee have typically emphasized player development. You know, whether, whether or not you want to give Jason Kidd credit for Giannis's development, I think 
his staff deserves credit for it. Sean Sweeney deserves credit for Giannis's development. He deserves credit for Chris Middleton's development. And so I'm curious to see what mm. him and Greg St. Jean, another very good development coach, can do with Josh Green. And can they help him, you know, develop a reliable jump shot that can allow him to stay on the floor and not have to be relegated to the bench because he can't shoot? Um, so that's that's really the big thing that I'm looking for. Because if Josh Green can become a, a guy who can play like 10 or 15 minutes a night, like all of a sudden you have a really deep wing group and it gives you some flexibility going forward, especially when you have like Dorian Finney-Smith entering a contract year where he's probably going to get a huge raise next season. Um, it just gives you some more options to really evaluate how you want to build your team going forward. Yeah, and not all these guys can play, so I'm curious who gets – someone's going to get squeezed, right? Between, like, Frank, Josh, Sterling, I think is going to be in the rotation, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the rotations play out. And let's obviously assume – I think Frank's going to crack the rotation, but maybe that's a little too optimistic. I, I don't know about Frank if he'll crack the rotation, but if he makes a team, I can definitely see them using him situationally um, and using him for his defense – so, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a Frank fan, so I hope that he makes the team and I hope that he sees some minutes on the floor. It'll just be a nice change of pace from last season. But the guy the cannot shoot for the life Sorry. of him. So there's that. Yeah, I mean, we'll, yeah, Luke, yeah, we'll see what he gets with shots-wise with Luca. because I don't think you're going to – I think you're getting better looks with Luca than you would with uh, – I can't even name the next point guard last year. Derrick yeah. Rose, I guess. Yeah, that too. He also there was a new coaching staff and a new GM regime that didn't believe in Frank at that point, and then the Knicks were kind of a shit show beforehand. So I mean, we'll see with Frank. I I really like his defensive tools. Yeah, he's he's got the length and he's a big guard. So um, you know, I'm rooting for him and and hopefully he makes the team. Uh, you got anything else? That's kind of all the thoughts I had on on preseason and training camp. We have like way too many centers still, like yeah. KP, Dwight, Willie, Moses, and Boban. Obviously, I'm gonna, I think KP and then one of Dwight and Willie are going to be the rotation centers, and then everyone else is going to be a DNP in that center group. I'm willing to bet that at least one of the centers gets uh, gets shipped away somewhere because it just doesn't make sense to have so many centers on the roster, especially given that all of them are are pretty limited. Uh, in in their own way, either they can't shoot or or what have you. So I'm I'm willing to bet I that someone gets traded. The Mavs didn't want Moses Brown in that Josh Richardson trade. Like they were, I know yeah, the last they second, didn't. like he, like they didn't want to take salary back in that. So it wasn't like they believed in Moses Brown as a player. Um, and I know we had some good box score stats last year, but I don't really know how. I definitely think that Moses Brown could be the one that gets traded just because. As a young player who's shown some flashes and he's on a very cheap contract, like he's a positive asset that they can, you know, they can, they can use in some deals. So I wouldn't be shocked if he is traded, um, you know, at, at some point in the training it's, camp. It's so annoying that like all these players get to go where they want relatively and like Goran Dragic clearly wants to be here, but it's just not going to happen right now. It just, yeah. it just, it just sucks. It looked like his Eurobasket coach is here in Igor. Luke is obviously here. And it just, they don't want it to happen. But I mean, I understand. They want to get some assets for the Kyle Lowry botched trade that didn't do it in the office during the season. 
it's all good. Yeah. We'll see what happens with that. I mean, it's been reported that the Mavs are still confident that they're going to land him, but it's obviously a matter of when at this point. Is it like closer to the start of the season? Is it closer to the playoffs? That's something we don't know yet, and we probably won't know uh, for a little while longer. Yeah, that's all I got uh, for this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mavs Film Room podcast. As always, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Mavs Film Room. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss an episode. It's going to be an exciting season. There's a lot to look forward to this year. We're definitely going to be very regular with our podcasts. Thanks, Vinay, for joining me for this episode. I know you changed your Twitter handle recently, so tell everyone how they can follow you. At VinayC123. All right. Follow Vinay on Twitter at (laughs) VinayC123. all righty i'll talk yeah. to you i'll talk to you soon we need to do some other predictions and all sorts of good stuff coming up before the season yeah we'll probably be back in a couple of weeks before the regular season starts and and bring you guys our predictions and we'll definitely have Fazel and rohan on here so they can give you their predictions as well but yeah thanks Vinay. thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you guys in a few weeks